0: Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to church, everybody. Welcome to those who are uh, online and uh, taking in service. We're having a great time here. If you're close enough to show up, you should do that because it's great. Um, (laughs) And there's people here who would love to have coffee with you after church, I'm sure. You know, when I drive my car to whatever it is that I'm doing and wherever I'm going, and, you know, I just choose the roads. I choose the lanes. uh, You know, I, I get to park in the parking lot wherever I want to. And it's just that simple. It's not really complicated and all the rest of it. But when my wife is in the car with me, this is going to be good, but it's going to cost me, okay? So just hang in there. You would think I've never driven a car before. (laughs) Take this road. Why did you turn here? I always go the other route. Get in the other lane. It's faster. Why are you following that car? Look at that car. Anyone who buys a car like that never drives the speed limit. (laughs) These are actual quotes, by the way. (laughs) Hurry up. You can make that light. Park closer. (laughs) Why are you parking over here? I have to remind her, you are a passenger in the passenger seat. I'm in the driver's seat. Hence, I get to make the decisions when it comes to driving unless you want me to pull over and we change seats. But we do something like this when it comes to our walk with God as well. We live with the struggle to give direction rather than to follow direction. Today, we're gonna have a look at the life of of Peter and the struggle that he had in that area. We're gonna be starting in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven." Moving forward in this passage, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this should never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interests but on man's. Just look at the way Peter goes from this place of of revelation and understanding about who Jesus is to shifting to offering advice. I mean, he's at this moment where he says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. You are divine. That's who you are, Jesus. Oh, well, by the way, could I please give you give you my opinion about what you just said? And I, I kind of feel like you're missing it here, Jesus, but you are the son of God, divine. You are awesome. But I'd like to tell you how I think you should be running your life. And I, I don't really feel... And this is this thing that's going on here. And Jesus' response was to point out where he got off track. He said, listen, you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. And you're becoming a stumbling block through self-interest. Self-interest. This is the struggle that all of us face when it comes to walking with God. We all have our personal interests. We all have what we would like Jesus to support in terms of our interests, and we would like to see our opinion taken into account when it comes to the things of God and how God wants us to lead our lives and, you know, everything from morals to direction to everything else, and we may struggle to set aside self-interest to pursue the purposes of God for our life. And this isn't just about big decisions, although it can be. There can be moments in walking with God where the Holy Spirit is saying, this is what I want you to do. Uh, This is your direction uh, for your life. And you actually can come to not just to the cross for salvation, but to a crossroads where it's like, you know, I've always thought this is what I would do with my life. And I feel like God wants me to do something else. And that can happen. There can be major decisions um, in your life as you walk with God. But you know what? I find that a lot of these uh, challenges to self-interest really can just happen in day-to-day life. Like, for instance, when you get hurt from hurt by somebody, is the challenge of: Am I going to just be angry and stay angry, or am I going to forgive? When it comes to your patterns of thinking, you know, your patterns of thinking can always be about me and mine, and how does this affect me? What's this going to cost me? Is this going to be good for me? Or you can shift into being, you know, considerate of others, as the scripture talks about putting, putting others above yourself how I use my time. I can be so focused on my boundaries. You know, uh, We have people that talk about boundaries and they're a good thing. There's definitely people that don't understand boundaries and it's uh, detrimental to their life. But on the other hand, it can turn into a selfish thing where we're like so focused on our boundaries that everything we look at in life is about staying within the boundaries. And yet God's called us to be generous with time, talent, and treasure. And, And there can be moments where it's like, this isn't about my boundaries. This is a moment where I need to cross that line. As a matter of fact, I would submit to you that many times when God is gonna use your life, you're probably going to have to cross a line of boundary in your life in order to extend yourself to serve others. It's called being inconvenienced. And a lot of times it's in that place of being inconvenienced that the Holy Spirit is conveniently choosing you. Don't let your boundaries block you from what God might want to use you to do in somebody else's life. How about in your prayers? You know, are your prayers just focused on getting God's support? Or how about his direction? Right. Good. You know, sometimes asking for permission can be a little bit difficult. We'd sooner just say, well, I think I've already made up my mind, Lord. Would you just support this? Yeah. Or are our prayers always focused about our blessing or his wisdom? Mm-hmm. How about freedom and the use of it? Is our freedom being used to just fill our lives with more of what we feel like we want? Or are we using our freedom to add to others and make a difference in others? You see, the struggle to turn our connection with Christ into self a self-serving relationship is very real. And seeing Jesus then as our life coach, as that vending machine that we can put a prayer into and see what comes back at us, our miracle on demand God, you know, in our life who exists to serve the interests that we have, our self-interest. God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. You ever heard that one? Yeah, it's an opening line to a, a popular way of sharing faith. And I would say this, yes, God loves you and God has a wonderful plan for your life, but it's not your plan, it's his plan. And if you don't get that straight, you can think God loves me and wants to bless my plan. No, no, he has his plan. And if you really connect with the love of God, then you'll respond by committing to following that plan. Peter had to learn to overcome temptation And put his, put God's interests above his own. And I want to talk to you about three different areas where uh, self-interest can become a stumbling block in our thinking. First one is this: self-interest seeks to hijack the purpose of the church from reaching the world to blessing the saints. Self-interest seeks to hijack the purpose of the church from reaching the world to blessing the saints. Matthew chapter 17, reading from verse one. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. How many know they're having a pretty awesome spiritual experience with Jesus here right now? Appeared to them talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And and, and so here he is going on. While he is still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. As God politely telling Peter, shut it. But this is Peter turning a spiritual experience into something that he could, you know, just continue to, uh, you know, to experience, to deliver. Uh, you know, he just wants to continue to have what he's having in that moment. And there are plenty of times in our walk with God as believers where we will have experiences that we could call them tabernacle, but I'll use a different word. I'll say the word contain. Experiences that we want to contain in the same way that Peter's like, let's contain this. Let's build these tabernacles. We too can have experiences with God where we're like, God, can this just go on forever? Can, can Can I have risen camp every week? And the staff said, no, okay, moving right along. Oh my gosh. Uh, can we just bottle this and have it over and over again, Jesus? You know what, I remember a moment in worship uh, when we were back on 99th Street that uh, I'd never experienced it and, like that and never experienced it since. And we, we had put into the, the worship set And I'm not saying this is the why. I'm just saying this is what had happened. But we put in a portion of an old hymn with lyrics, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And and as we were singing, there was this awesome sense of God's presence that just filled the place. It it was like someone just walked into the room and and there was this this almost felt like tangible but very evident presence of, of the Holy Spirit of the holiness of God, all of that. And you know, without prompting, without saying anything um, to, to you know, inquire or whatever, after the service, one of the people on the worship set said, did you, did you see that? Did, did, you, did you feel that? Did you, during that particular, did you connect with that moment that that, and they understood exactly that this had happened and felt this very, very same experience and described it the same way that I had experienced it as well. And it was like, oh, man, this was, this was amazing. This was amazing. I wish I could just bottle that and pour some on you every week. I also wish that we could just choose to sing this particular song and it would guarantee the same experience with God every week. But the idea that special moments in God's presence are self-manufactured is wrong. Special moments in God's presence are not self-manufactured. They're just sought after. That's how you get them. The reason for the young people that are here that you had a special moment with God last week is because you went looking for it. It's not something we can just kind of manufacture. It's sought after. The Bible talks about if you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. When you're going after God saying, I need direction. When you're going after God saying, God, I I need your healing. God, I need you to move in my life. God, I need you to change your, I need an experience with you. I need to be touched by you. It's when you're seeking after God that you will have a moment with God. Special moments come in God's presence when they're sought after. And maybe you've felt this before and you, you thought to yourself, if we could just repeat what we had at church that Sunday, if, if we could just repeat what we had in that service, whether it be at Risen Camp or wherever, if, if we could just re-experience what we felt in that moment of worship, if we could just relive, if I could just relive what happened when that person prayed for me. The problem with containing a spiritual experience is our temptation to make it the focus and purpose of our life and to make it, for that matter, the focus and purpose of church. The church exists for the purpose of the ministry of the gospel to the world around us. It is outward in its focus. That's when it's healthy. Our temptation, however, is to make it inward. And like Peter, who goes, hey, Jesus we're having a great time here. This is awesome. Can, can we just make this our priority? Can we tabernacle contain this? Can we make this our priority? And God's answer was to end the vision and then tell Peter, listen to Jesus. Encounters with God are a preparation for you to encounter the world around you with power and confidence. I wanna say that again. You gotta get this. Your encounter with God is in preparation for you to encounter the world around you with power and confidence. It's not about the experience for the sake of the experience. Your experience here is to better prepare you for what you're going to be going through out there. Oh, by the way, here's the other thing about idolizing experiences is then you think you have to continue to have them in order to follow Jesus. Yeah, I got to talk to the risen youth a little bit that are here. So you know this. You may have already noticed that last week wasn't like camp week. And a month from now will not be anything like camp week. You're going to be living in what we call reality. (laughs) But because it doesn't feel like camp week, doesn't mean Jesus isn't in the room or that he isn't in your life. Don't confuse your faith with your feelings. You don't need to feel anything, and you can walk by faith. Your experience here is to better prepare you for life out there. You don't live in a tabernacle like Peter wanted to. You come and you go from tabernacle. And while we were saying in our thoughts, oh, that was great. I can't wait for next Sunday. I believe God would have us to say, oh, that was great. I can't wait for Monday. Come on, I can't wait for Monday. Why? Because Monday is my opportunity to live out what God did on Sunday. Monday is when I get to live as an ambassador for Jesus. Monday is when I get to put my faith in action to change the world around me. Monday is when I can make a difference in the lives of others. Monday is where my opportunity lies to share the gospel with somebody. Listen, resist the temptation to make church self-serving when it's designed to serve the world. Number two, self-interest can hinder mercy and limit your capacity to forgive others. Self-interest can hinder mercy and limit your capacity to forgive others. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. If you miss reading your Bible this week, it's okay. We're going to catch up right now. (laughs) Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times. Tradition, by the way, in that moment was three times. And Peter thought, I know what I'll do. I'll double it and add one and I'll I'll get a star in Sunday school. Okay. (laughs) Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who had owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, but since he did not have means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Oh, by the way, the, the quantity of money that 10,000 talents was would be absolutely impossible for him to repay in his lifetime. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii, worth about 100 days wages, by the way. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. That's a familiar statement. But he was unwilling. And he went and he threw him into prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then, summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same manner that I had mercy on you? Peter shows yet another struggle with the human will and God's will, the struggle to forgive. Jesus's parable shows the depth of God's forgiveness towards us in that we owe a debt that is absolutely impossible for us to pay. Our sin, our violation against the holiness of God is absolutely impossible to be restored through our own human efforts. And then he asks him to basically embrace that model of God's forgiveness towards you as you forgive towards others. And if there's ever an area, I think, of the Christian life where we may feel justified to disobey, it's when we're resisting being forgiving. Have you ever thought to yourself, I just can't forgive them? You know, we, we feel violated. We feel the unjustness of what they did. They, they don't deserve it. There, there must be some sort of loophole to the commandment of forgiving. There must be like a boundary where it's like forgive up until. There, there has to be a go no further point at which we are justified to hold on to our anger, our bitterness, our hurt, our rage, and our torment. After all, don't we have a right to feel that way given what took place? Don't we have a right to say no more when it comes to forgiveness? But the irony is this that what we feel we have a right to keep is actually hurting us, not them. We're the ones feeling the anger, we're the ones feeling the bitterness, the torment, and all the rest. Our refusal to forgive isn't their problem, it's ours. Forgiving is God's greatest act of grace towards us, and we are called to model that grace towards others. Basically, give from what you have received. Jesus shares this story as a reminder that God has no boundaries when it comes to showing mercy towards us. That's still a huge truth. I mean, I've I've heard it more than once. People talk about inviting a friend to church. Oh, if I come to church... Fire's gonna fall down and burn me up. And I'm thinking, I hope not. It cost us a lot to build this building. I just <laughs> just wouldn't want that to happen. But here's the deal. They're still thinking that God's just holding this judgment over them. Well, that's not the case. Judgment went to the cross with Jesus. God's holding mercy out for them. Maybe when it comes to forgiving we just need to clarify what exactly is and maybe it's the misunderstanding of what forgiveness is that makes it so hard to do so let me give you a few thoughts on that first of all what forgiving does not do it doesn't do this it doesn't minimize the offense if i forgive them then i'm saying it wasn't a big deal no 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 it's not minimizing the offense when you forgive it doesn't absolve them of responsibility Hey, we make choices in life and our choices can hurt others. Guess what? We're still responsible for our actions. It's not like, oh, I made choices that hurt somebody. Ask God to forgive me. There's, hold on. No, no. You still have responsibility. It doesn't mean that it didn't matter. It's not like, well, it's, it's no big deal. No, if it, if it was a big deal to you, it's a big deal. It doesn't mean we continue the relationship as though nothing had ever happened. And I think that's a a fear people have. Oh, if I forgive them, then I need just to continue to treat them on the same level. No, no, no. Trust has been broken. Trust has to be restored. It's not immediately handed back. What forgiveness does do for you is this. Forgiveness releases you from anger. Forgiveness releases bitterness out of your life. Forgiveness releases the torment Forgiveness gives opportunity for healing. It gives opportunity for a restored relationship. It refuses to relive the event because I don't know if you've noticed, but if you haven't forgiven, you're still living in that situation. Yeah. It, it lives, forgiveness lives in the present instead of in the past because what you haven't forgiven, you're still holding on to. You're still living in the past. Mercy means we stop saying, you owe me. Go back to Peter for a minute. Look at his original question. He says, Jesus, what if somebody offends me seven times? Seven times. Here's what Peter's saying. Jesus, I'm gonna keep score. And what if the score exceeds seven? I'm keeping score. So Jesus responds and says, oh, you wanna keep score? Well, I think the number should be 70 times seven. You're in trouble now. Can you imagine living in a world where we're trying to keep track of the number of times that we've been offended by other people? All of our relationships, I have all these relationships like, okay, you're, you're at about a five right now. You're a three. You're 150. Yeah. it'd be crazy. Keeping count is crazy. Listen, when you keep score, you eventually come to a place where you just can't give mercy. It it breaks down relationships. Finally, someone says, I've had enough. And it's not like we go around with numbers in our head and keep score that way, but we do let it pile up inside of here. And when you feel like, man, I'm angry, listen, you need to forgive. When you're feeling like it hurt, you need to forgive. When you're feeling, man, I'm frustrated, you need to forgive. When you're feeling like I can't take it anymore, you need to forgive. Mercy doesn't keep a record of wrong that can pile up uh, until you just feel like I can't take it anymore. Mercy doesn't only bless the one who receives it, mercy blesses you. Here's the third thought about self-interest. Self-interest allows comparison To set your motivation in life, focusing on perceived needs and desires regardless of God's purpose and plan. Self interest allows comparison to set your motivation in life, focusing on perceived needs and desires regardless of God's purpose and plan. John chapter 21, Jesus has this conversation with Peter post resurrection. Of course, Jesus, you know, Peter's already blown it and denied knowing him, all the rest of it. And Jesus is kind of restoring him in this whole process. He, he asked Peter, do you love me? And, and he asked him three times. He asked him to a point of annoyance. and said, well, if you love me, you know, feed my sheep. If you love me, tend my lambs. You know, all this, he's going through this whole interaction with him. And, and then he says this in, in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. No, that's not what he says, is it? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk everywhere you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pause for a moment. This is, this is huge stuff. Jesus is having this interaction with Peter. He's commissioned him to, to ministry. Do you love me? That should be your motivation, right? Oh, by the way, Peter, when you get older, they're gonna tie you up and you're gonna go where you do not wanna go. You're gonna, you're gonna be a martyr. Now follow me. Here's what you need to understand. If Peter hadn't have embraced it, let me say it differently. Because Peter embraced it and was willing to be a martyr for Jesus, it removes all doubt and gives you all reason to believe the gospel that Christ came, died, and rose again from the grave. The fact that so many of the disciples, the apostles, would die for their faith is part of the foundation. Your faith is built on the apostles and prophets. It's part of the foundation of our faith to be able to go, listen, we know this is real because those who walked with Jesus paid for it with their life. Here's your call, Peter. This is what you're going to do. And by the way, this is how it's going to end. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? Of course, you've got to realize this is John writing. Now he's writing about himself. So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until he comes, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out amongst the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say uh, to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Jesus had just told Peter about the struggle that's gonna happen in his life, the, the literally the cost of his calling, if you will. But Peter immediately is noticing that John seems to be getting this preferential treatment. John is Jesus's close buddy. John is the one, listen, known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's great when you write your own gospel and can comment about yourself like that. Hi, I'm John writing this. Oh, by the way, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not like this other guy. (laughs) Peter goes to a place of comparison. Jesus, you should be fair about all this stuff. Jesus, you, you should treat everyone equal. If this is gonna happen to me, what's gonna happen to he? I, I'm gonna have to pay a price. What price are they gonna pay? Don't, don't, uh, you know, don't people realize the price that I'm paying? Maybe he can even go to a place of, well, I, if I'm gonna pay this price, I hope there's a lot more appreciation coming my way. Listen, comparison is not about others, by the way. It's always about us. If our thoughts go to a place of comparison, it turns against us like some kind of an evil mirror that we're looking into. And when we look into it, here's what we see. I see what I don't have compared to them. I see what's not happening in my life compared to them. I see what I'm missing out on compared to them. I see how hard I have it compared to them. Comparison creates discontentment. Comparison can shift your focus, listen, off of following the Lord to actually following others, where you're just trying to get in life what's going on in somebody else's world, a world that you're not living in. It transforms us into consumers looking for more of what we think God should do in our life to make us feel content and significant. Now in my pursuit in life, it's all about catching up to someone else, not about following Christ. Now I'm trying to fit my life into their calling rather than fulfilling my calling. I'm trying to run their race instead of mine. I'm trying to fulfill their ministry instead of mine. I'm trying to live in a world that was never meant for me. It's all about me. It's no longer about him. Is it any wonder that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus was looking to drive home the point that our motivation for what we do for God should come from our love for God and nothing else. That ultimately our love for God is what keeps us. It's what keeps Jesus in the driver's seat of our life. It's what keeps us pursuing him and his will in our life. And our love for God is what causes us to not only begin, but to live an entire life of following Jesus. Let's stand as we take a moment to pray. Father, I just pray for everyone who is here and I pray the Holy Spirit would would just show us in our own lives if if there are places where self-interest is inhibiting the interests of God. Lord, as we spoke about things like forgiveness and and Lord, that can be such a temptation to to choose self-interest and to get confused. And God, I, I pray specifically for people who, who know they have someone in their world, they need to forgive, they they need to release it, they need to let it go, they need to say, you don't owe me anymore, and get over it, and Lord, I just thank you for the power of God enabling them. I thank you as they make a choice, knowing, Lord, that you've already forgiven us of an impossible debt to pay. Lord, as we respond out of your mercy towards us and extend mercy towards others, may we experience freedom. healing. Lord, if there's other ways where self-interest has become a stumbling block to the purposes of God, where we're holding on to something that we're thinking, I really, really want this in my life. I want to, Lord, may we understand that there is nothing greater than living in a relationship with Jesus, discovering your purpose for our life and fulfilling that. And then going on, God, to experience eternity. Lord, may our eyes be open. And may we not miss out on what God has because of self-interest. With our heads continue to be bowed, and I want to pray one more prayer. You know, it was in our best interest that Jesus went to the cross for us. And it was about us, and we were the reason. And it was about his love for us that Jesus, while we were sinners, the Bible says, died for us. That God does love us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us as we are. And now we have the opportunity to lay aside self-interest, to receive Jesus as Lord of our lives, to confess him, not just in a sense of, yes, I believe in you, Jesus, but more than that, I'm gonna follow you. I'm putting you first place in my life. And that's what God asked us to do. Jesus didn't go around asking, do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? No, no, here's this here's question. We follow me, we follow me. True faith follows. True faith isn't just a mental acknowledgement. True faith follows, makes the decision to follow Christ with our lives. And I want to pray a prayer with you right now as we stand here. And it's an opportunity for you to talk to God. It's an opportunity for you to tell Jesus, just like those young people did, Jesus, I choose you. I'm putting you first place. I'm going to follow you from this day forward. And as you pray that prayer, you receive God's forgiveness and a new beginning at a new life where Christ really is the center of it all. So I want to invite everyone who's in the room to pray along with those who I know will be praying and those who are praying online as well as we pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you had my interests in mind when you went to the cross. So today, I lay aside self-interest to put you first. I believe in you and I confess you as my Lord and my Savior, and I'll follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at CelebrationEmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationemonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.